0: I've recently moved from Washington State to Chinle, Arizona, a small rural and poor community lying in the heart of the Navajo reservation for my job at the hospital pharmacy for Native American. A couple weeks ago, as I finished my work and started to walk home from the hospital, I put on my rainbow beanie and walked out in the freezing mountain weather a young Navajo man approached me asking what the time was. I was tensed up as fuzz, but I did tell him the time and was about to keep walking when he asked me another question, this time about where I was from. I honestly thought, oh no. Because I walked to work that day and didn't have the barrier of my car to shield me from this guy. Well, I did reply to his question that I came from Washington State and asked some question about him in return. Why in my head, I was trying to figure out an escape route if things were indeed going wrong. But out of nowhere, he asked me if I knew any Navajo words yet and then taught me to say hello and goodbye in his native language. His behavior surprised me. Because for all I knew, he could try to ask me for money or a ride to somewhere. Yet somehow, that wasn't why he started talking to me. The young man asked me if he could walk me to my home. I reluctantly agreed, although I hadn't figured out the reason why he wanted to continue this strange encounter. While walking, he revealed to me that he was a student in his early 20s at a technical college here in the reservation and that he was waiting for his mother who worked at the hospital. He told me that he wanted to be an emergency medical technician moving to the city and starting his independent life later. He seemed honest when he told me those. So when we arrived at my apartment, I was kind of inviting him in for something to eat hoping that maybe this was the reason why he had been following me. It was only in the comfort of my home that I could fully realize the reason that he wanted to talk to me in the beginning. He frequently talked about how people complimented his good manners, how he befriended with many girls, and how he understood girls well compared to guys his age. Just as I was about to ask the question, he turned to me and said, And I quote, How did you get people to accept you for who you are? I mean, your beanie. The question stopped short, but the meaning was clear. He went on telling me story about him liking both guys and girls, about his crush for his best guy friend, which ultimately and sadly leaving him with a skull fracture and half a face being numb. He told me about his current secret relationship with an older man and about how hard it was for him to hide his sexuality from his family. The conversation continued over a simple dinner of my pre-made sandwiches with one mainly telling stories and one mainly listening. When it was time for him to go meet his mother, I sent him on his way telling him that I would be around to listen if he needed someone to talk to. I went back inside, donning my rainbow beanie on and taking the trash out. What a beautiful evening, I mumbled to myself as I looked up to the starry sky above.
1: That was a story by Vine and Fake community member Quan. Welcome to Tabardin, y'all, a weekly podcast about the stories we tell and the events we discuss while on pilgrimage as queer Catholics. I'm Jacob Flores, and I am married to a man now. <laughs> Gay marriage.
2: <laughs> and I'm his husband, Pat Goffman. Uh, I still thoroughly enjoy saying that. We have found ourselves uh, throughout the, the day and the, the past couple of weeks just saying like, hey. You're my husband. It's only been a week. And like like half. half. So, like, it's more than a week. That's where the weeks come I guess. Still kind of riding that wedding high. Yeah, it's still great. For those of y'all that are uh, new to the podcast, I'm a lifelong Catholic and a recent convert to gayism. So, that is a little bit of my story. (laughs) What is (laughs) gayism? It's gay, but with ism. Oh, okay. Well, we took a month off from the podcast to get married, but we're back, baby. So, Jacob, what have we got on the podcast today?
1: All right, good to be back. So first, we are going to look at the German bishops who are officially talking about what is good in gay relationships. Then with primary voting starting around the U.S., we'll talk about what it means to vote like a Catholic. Then we'll look at black queer filmmakers who are creating their own seat at the table. And finally, we'll talk about Pope Francis deciding against married priests and women deacons in the Amazon. Uh, and as always, we'll close things out by toasting our most inspiring parts of the week.
2: Well, the German Bishops' Conference has been meeting for a synod of their own recently, and they called for a change in development in church teaching regarding LGBTQ persons in their synodal working document by saying, quote, We want to bridge this gap without a break in church teaching, but by widening, opening, and changing this teaching homosexual acts also realize positive, meaningful values insofar as they are an expression of friendship, reliability, loyalty, and support in
1: life. So seeing members of the queer community showing up and representing is something that I feel we all need to do, and that's given if you are in a place to do so. Mm -hmm. It really brings visibility and uh, realness to our existence as living proof that we're all here in the church living out God's love. Um, And I forget the individual's name who they spoke about in this article, um, but this person was non-binary. And I feel like that was really awesome to have that representation, that specific representation at the synod.
2: Yeah. So, for folks who don't know what we're talking about, there was a person who spoke at the the Synod conference that was actually a non-binary person that was invited to come in and kind of give testimony and give witness. So that's pretty excellent that they were invited in to to be able to uh, participate and to to really kind of share their life with the with the bishops.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh you know, individuals that are outside and beyond just you know cis white males and yeah. females in yeah. gay and lesbian relationships. Um, but yeah, it's really nice to hear individuals from the church, uh, especially bishops acknowledging the language in the cat that the language in the catechism uh, on homosexual acts, quote unquote, uh, is demeaning. I, I don't I don't like the term homosexual acts. It makes oh, me feel yeah. a little weird. Yeah. Um, so seeing bishops acknowledge that that is weird and not affirming and kind of demeaning and not kind of but demeaning. Yeah. Uh, this is really great. Um, So a question of mine, and I've always had this, but are German bishops typically more outspoken on issues um, such as gay rights um, in comparison to their American counterparts?
2: I'm not enough of a a real church historian to know, uh, to be able to answer that real definitively. I can say in more recent years, they're known as being kind of a more progressive bloc in general, but Mm -hmm. that's not without exceptions. Obviously, you know, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict, uh, was... Bishop of of Cologne and and so there's there's plenty of you know variants even within the the bishops conference but yeah I'd say in general they're more recently they're known for for kind of pushing things a little bit I don't know for me I, this this piece of news that the the bishops had just even put out a working document that just mm-hmm. affirmed gay people and their relationships easily the most exciting news that I've seen come across since we started Vine and Fig. Yeah. I like I can't think of any other thing that has brought about and and been a reflection of of of, of a genuine step forward and change in at least how the the church is willing to to talk about mm-hmm. queer people like this. Everything else has been kind of nibbling around the edges. It's been a lot of like, oh, like a wonderful priest like James Martin or something yeah, is kinda like talking about it, but it's not like, like we're an afterthought. It's never felt like actual folks who are in the room making the big changes of how the Catholic church actually changes mm-hmm. are having those discussions. This was the first time I've, I've seen that. So for me, I was, I was blown away and really excited. This isn't like some kind of full on affirming uh, thing, but it was, it was uh, for me really powerful and and important to, to, to see this.
1: So as always with um, all the sins that happened, what are, what do we go from here? What are the next steps?
2: Yeah, I think for, at least for, for most of us, there's an an opportunity to to join in in this discussion with your 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 bishops with your pastor and just show your support like tell them like yes like you've seen this and this is the direction that you want the the church to go it's meaningful for you and and your life and you hope that this is the the type of affirmations that the church can can do in in the future i mean Frankly, most priests and bishops, like all they ever hear from, are like the, the angrier like folks who just want to shut down these yeah. types of conversations. And so, like if if they can hear that there actually are real people in the pews uh, that are still engaged and still want the Catholic Church to go in this direction, it will it will help these discussions be more common and be more more fruitful in the future, and also amplify the voices of of folks who are already you know, doing this work and having these discussions, um, within your own church circles. Like if you see an article talking about something like what the German bishops are, are doing, you know, like share it with people. Cause I think there's a huge vast majority of of the church has no idea that like oh like the church is actually starting to turn a corner on this issue. So mm-hmm. the more that we can can do to get that out there the the, the better the entire church is going to be.
1: And it, and honestly I think a lot of people are afraid to bring it up thinking that oh I'm going to be singled out or I'm it's I'm not going to be listened to. But if you present something like this an article like this uh, showing that bishops are actually catalyzing these conversations right it'll give them more motivation to do so.
2: Yeah. It's not just you being like some kind of rabble rouser. Mm -hmm. It's you being a part of a discussion of, of what the bishops themselves are saying.
1: Yep. Okay. So San Diego Bishop Robert McElroy wrote in an article or wrote an article reflecting on what a faithful Catholic citizen looks like as voting in elections approach in the letter. It says in the end, it is the candidate who is on the ballot, not a specific issue the faith-filled voter is asked to make a complex judgment. Which candidate will likely be best to advance the common good through his office in the particular political context he will face? Such a decision embraces the planes of principle and character, competence and capacity. And for the faithful voter, the very complexity of this moral judgment demands a recourse of the voice of God which lies deep within each of us, our conscience.
2: This was an incredibly, um, I think, welcome and timely uh, letter when I I, I came across it, that the U.S. is undergoing our our primary voting right now. We have a really momentous uh, general election coming up in in November, and the church has— especially the church in the US has struggled for years when it comes to just how to help uh, the faithful vote. I think in past years, it's basically just come down to saying like abortion is the only issue that, that really matters. And so vote, you know, pro-life. And that's the only thing that really I've heard from the the, the, the Catholic hierarchy is saying like, this is what is, is important. And they've so aligned themselves with the Republican Party that it's, it's, it was obvious to every single person in my parish exactly how the bishops expected uh, you to vote. So this is the first time that I've heard a U.S. bishop say that, like, what matters most actually is is the candidate and not some specific policy uh, position. Like, it's, I don't know, to me it's an incredible breath of fresh air and, and sanity to have someone say, like, you're voting on a, a person, not an issue. All right, so, like— Jacob, for example, if I were to come up with or if I were to ask you for a list of what are the most important kind of principles and characteristics in a, a candidate that like if you were to say, like, what specifically should I as a Catholic be looking for? Like, what would you say those characteristics are? Oh, <laughs>
1: am, am I going to be called a cafeteria Catholic here?
2: No, because I think you're like I'm. I'm asking not necessarily like what. Policy issues. I'm asking, like, what do you, what, what are looking you looking for? for in a candidate? Okay. Like,
1: what type of person? Yeah. So I look at their issues and how well they align with corporal works of mercy. Okay, great. that'll probably be my baseline. You know, feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, caring for the sick. I find these as basics of just humanity and just yeah. decency that this country should be doing well at. Yeah, which we aren't. Right. Um. So, yeah. So those are kind of the baseline. Um, topics and issues that I would look for. Um, And then I would go from there. Uh, The abortion topic just really grants my gears. Mm -hmm. Um, It confuses me why, I mean, I guess, yeah, it it does confuse me why people will only um, focus on that one singular topic and forget everything else, regardless of even if a candidate, so if a candidate is, you know, pro-life, but is... Dick in every other aspect of their candidacy, candidacy right. uh, that doesn't matter to them. They're they're gonna vote for him, yeah. and that I just don't understand.
2: One thing I really appreciated that Bishop McElroy brought up was that it also matters competency mm-hmm. and their ability to actually follow through on a lot of the promises that they're making. So merely saying that you are are pro life, or even saying like you're for different works of of mercy mm-hmm. and bring enacting and those in society is not enough. Like you have to be the type of person that can actually make that happen. And part of being an informed Mm -hmm. voter, especially a Catholic voter is also looking at, well, are they actually going to do those things or are those just empty promises? Is that just rhetoric?
1: Yeah. And I, I really appreciate seeing, um, issues of, uh, climate change on, on, in this article, um, being spoken about really hoping that that gets, uh, more of a platform, especially with Catholics, conservative Catholics too. Um, so, I guess still on the topic of politics and Catholic voters, um, but on, kind of going moving away from this specific yeah. article, uh, I read something about political marketers starting to use geofencing to target Catholics um, with ads that would, and I quote, help tip the presidential election in favor of President Donald J. Trump. Um, and this comes from the president of Catholic Vote, uh, which I'm assuming is a pretty large uh, organization organization. Um, it's well-funded. It's well-funded, yeah, yeah, I'm assuming. With that being said, and that possibility of Catholics being targeted um, with geofencing, um, especially with, uh, I would say, conservative ads, right. um, how do you think this will affect Catholics in their voting um, and using their faith and conscience in that? I think it's all going to
2: come down to, especially the the bishops and local pastors, to, to set an example of... Of what an an informed voter, Catholic voter who actually cares about their their conscience and isn't just um, you know towing some kind of party line, mm-hmm. and and because like I have every sense that um, Catholics especially are going to be targeted by. Trump's uh ad campaigns mm-hmm. and that it's going to be a fairly f- sophisticated attempt like you're saying to to micro target catholics and I sure hope that you know there's only a handful of months basically but I sure hope that there's an effort to um get those engaged catholics more informed and and more skeptical of a president who goes against Absolutely everything that the Catholic Church stands <laughs> yeah. for. Like I was, I was going to start listing them off, and it's like it's you it's, don't need it's to. overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. You really don't need to so I really hope that, that there is more of a, a a sense. There's more to being Catholic than just being against abortion, yeah. and that there is a real sense that we have a duty to stand up to all the wrongs that we that we see going on out there.
1: So. I haven't experienced this, but in I guess in your 33 years of being a Catholic, yeah, um, how often have you heard or seen priests at mass talk about political issues or kind of? Um, I don't know if this is if it's ethical for for priests to do so, but to to kind of guide um, parishioners to vote a specific way. Yeah, they'll often talk
2: about it that from the the, the pulpit. They're only supposed to talk about issues and not, you know, individual candidates. Mm-hmm. And so I've never heard somebody get up at, at church and say, you need to vote but, for this person. You but they do talk about the issues at hand. But they will definitely talk about um, issues. The one I hear, I used to hear more than anything else was um, about religious freedom. That was kind mm-hmm. of a a big one that got talked about in the parishes that I I grew up in where there was a sense that, Um, you know, the government was becoming more and more anti-religious and against a lot of Catholic values, and that you needed to vote for the candidate who was going to stand up against. Like it was, it's, it's not entirely subtle when you're being told to, you know, basically uh, vote against the Obama policies. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, but there was never a a real sense, especially from the pulpit, that like this is complex and you need to take your conscience to the, the poll. It was always mm-hmm. a, this is very
1: black and white and you need to vote on this issue. I imagine this is more prevalent in conservative areas of the country. I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean in my, I guess a year of almost a year of being a Catholic and the two years before that of, you know, preparing for baptism, um, and come to think of it, come to think of it. I didn't, really realize that the issues were being spoken about at the parishes sure. and woven within the homily. I just took that as that's Catholic teaching. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to see that I didn't realize it until now looking back at it. Um, and that it was just, for me, I thought that's just how everything is supposed to be.
2: And there's, there's a difference between a parish that is really, you know, preaching on these kind of, Standard gospel mm-hmm. ideas, these works of mercy and everything, like you were talking about earlier, and a parish that is getting up and harping about, you know, religious freedom or something. You are like, wait, wait, yeah, that that's you know, where is that in the gospel? Like, it stands out. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't just tie in real easily into the, the 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 mass readings. And so, I think for for me, it was you know, even though I i I didn't realize that it was abnormal at the time. Like, that's very much what I, I grew up with. But I, I recognized, like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, they're talking about politics right now.
1: Shout out to St. James Cathedral for not <laughs> forcing me to vote a specific way. We got our Seattle reference in. <laughs> it's been too long. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a game now. So every time I, I mention St. James um, or Seattle, you'll have to take a shot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Gonna be drunk, Writer Jonathan P. Higgins looked at queer black creators participating at a panel in the Sundance Film Festival who are creating their own seat at the table in Hollywood. He wrote, quote, the greater message from the panel was simple. If we want representation in Hollywood, it has to be black queer actors, writers and producers who make sure these stories are made and seen. We can't wait on white Hollywood figureheads to give us the space to tell our stories." said Bratton. We realize that our stories being tolerated must not be the goal. If that is all we continue to ask for, then it will always be the only thing we get.
1: Amen. Uh, I'm all about black and brown representation in media and film. I, as far as uh, creating your own seat at the table, and especially in at the table in white Hollywood, yeah, um, I, I see this as a common theme, I guess, with uh, underrepresented communities outside of Hollywood. You know, in tech, just everywhere in society. Right. Um, and I'm, it's it's nice to see black and brown people take it upon themselves to to create that seat at the table. I'm sure it's very tough, um, but it needs to happen. And like in this quote, it, it's, these stories can't be told by other people other yeah. than black queer folk. Because uh, yeah, black erasure is real, especially in Hollywood. Um, and what I mean is that Often movies, from my perspective, often movies and shows will whitewash stories to make it more digestible Definitely. Uh, for white audiences. Um, or juxtapose that. On the other hand, um, Hollywood tends to typecast black characters into tropes. Um, so I'm really glad to see black queer artists, queer people in general, really just tell their story as it is and, and, and like to ruffle feathers, which is great. But I like seeing that they're doing... That and doing away with these these tropes and mm-hmm. the whitewashing, um, and the article mentions Pose as a great example, kind of being uh, the first step into that. So oh, yeah. Pose Pose being a TV yeah, show, Pose the TV show, sorry, um, which uh, really focuses on black and brown trans uh, folk, people throughout the spectrum of the queer spectrum. And uh AIDS. Yeah. HIV AIDS. And the ballroom
2: scene in New York City and yeah. in, in the early eighties and everything when there was a lot being being created, but a lot of like I I didn't I had no idea until you started introducing me to some of this stuff that so much of what I understood as gay culture was the creation of, of black and brown people who had so much of um Had been taken from them and just kind of appropriated by, you know, white Mm gays as being you know cute sayings or you know cute ways to dance and and stuff like that. But that it was that there was a whole history behind it and a people behind it and there was real stories behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is Black History Month, and so we do want to do our our part to highlight the amazing contributions that Black people have made, kind of to our country and to our church, as well as draw attention to the many areas that we're still failing on that front. And so to that end, we have some exciting announcements to come here at uh, Vine and Fig. Stay tuned for those. But I do want to say that I, I liked this article because it it focused on movies, especially I think that movies are such a potent piece of our, our culture and can do so much to affect people's opinion of of who they are are seeing represented on screen. And that can be both to like help people be more seen and and better represented. It can often um, help people open up to to new perspectives. Like I think of the way that queer representation changed on film going for, in like over the course of our lives, from being something that almost wasn't there to being a joke and someone there for punchlines as like the sassy person on screen that didn't really ever have, have a central place, to then becoming like having like whole movies made about a full queer story yeah. full Yeah. Story. Yeah. And, and being complex people, not just, um, an these, accessory. Yeah. These simple kind of, you know, sassy or whatever, or just butch or whatever that, you know, the way these folks were, were often, um, depicted on screen. And, and that helped really genuinely helped change the way so many folks, whether it was queer people themselves or, uh non-queer people saw uh those folks represented
1: so pope francis released the final document and reflection on the controversial amazon synod entitled
2: (laughs) forgive me here you do you say it carita amazonia
1: all right beloved amazon In the document, Pope Francis avoided deciding on the two biggest suggestions made by the bishops and theologians of the Synod, allowing married priests and women deacons. The Pope instead focused on respect for indigenous peoples, the environment, and a return to the gospel in the region writing. From the original peoples, we can learn to contemplate the Amazon region and not simply analyze it, and thus appreciate the precious mystery that transcends us. We can love it, not simply use it. Even more, we can feel intimately a part of it and not only defend it, then the Amazon region will once more become like a mother to us. Wow. I really feel that.
2: Yeah. And that's beautiful. It was, I think
1: as much as,
2: uh, the headlines are going to be married priests and women. deacons yeah. not getting a, um, you know, uh, even a mention in this, mm-hmm. um, like the document itself, like you say, it's, it's really beautiful and you can tell where Pope Francis's heart is. And I, uh, yeah. I think it's it's really
1: wonderful to honor that. Do you think he's prioritizing issues? Like, do you think he's looking at it as, okay, this is a much more graver issue than um, rules of the church and who can deliver sacraments and I, bless?
2: I think I see him prioritizing that. Yeah. How effective he's been at mobilizing the rest of the church to prioritize that. That's a a whole nother question. And I don't know if it's, it's how fair it is to, to put that on his shoulders of say, well, like why haven't you gotten all the other cardinals to um, these, especially European cardinals to start caring about the, you know, like indigenous people and stuff like that's, that's a, that is a big ask as important as, as it is. But I think that for him, Mm -hmm. I get the sense in that it, it is a consistent theme of the poverty of folks who, are very underrepresented in in the the church and a an attempt to refocus the church on yeah
1: that's more important than allowing uh priests to marry in areas that are short on priests right okay yeah um so what are your thoughts i would say I'm, i'm
2: disappointed that that discussion of of married priests um and and didn't Make it into the the document, even if he didn't he didn't need to make some kind of final decision on mm-hmm. it but i I wish that he there was a lot of folks that you know theologians and 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 bishops who did recommend that that change be made and and I wish that he could have at least um, given it a little bit more um, thought in kind of this official way on the document level um, I think ordaining women priests was probably never going to happen, but um i I think it's a a fantastic idea. I do hope that. In a lot of places where, like the church is is struggling, like there's there's Catholics out there, but they they don't have access to kind of the institutional church because of a lack of of priests. I, I I hope that the church adapts in in these ways. As far as what Pope Francis said, like I I loved it, and I hope that the church takes kind of these broad strokes that he's painting with, and and learns to be a little bit more explicit like when he talks about you know big broad principles and in destructive practices in the Amazon and, mm-hmm. and things like that like sometimes you actually have to like name the companies that are doing it and say like here yeah. is is where it's actually happening instead of just saying like it's such a sad thing that the Amazon is being destroyed like say right now these people are destroying it and we need them to stop Like yeah. call them out by, by name because if not it, the church just has a like the 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 catholic faithful kind of have an ability to to look past it and to to think that it's not something that's actually happening right now that we can actually put our 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 mind and
1: our money and and whatever behind actually making those changes Mm -hmm. it sucks that we have to be that explicit to get people to recognize that oh yeah this is an actual issue um yeah i I do the Catholic Church is good at being very vague about things right. um so I think definitely humanizing and putting faces and and entities behind these issues that are affecting humans right humanity um would be great so yeah uh less of the vagueness
2: which is not like i I'm okay with a bit like a document like this being kind of at 40,000 feet level Mm -hmm. and, and talk about principles, but like the church in, in Brazil and in these other countries where the Amazon touches, you know, like what are they doing on the ground to actually now enact this, this guidance that the Pope is, is giving them for the Amazon region? Like, are they actually going to, to be more, more concrete about the ways that like their, their, their region, um, is is being abused and is 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 being so harmed
1: do do you think that they are i mean i i imagine that they are i can say from my
2: my time in in honduras Honduras, Mm -hmm. which was not the amazon but had similar issues Mm -hmm. of 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 land rights issues and um there was a time like during the 70s and 80s when the the catholic church was actually a real revolutionary force Mm -hmm. in in the country and like would call out the military dictatorship and were like there were murders during this time in this period because of how they would stand up against uh injustice yeah and now there is not like that that's kind of been been lost and there's more of a sense that like you Kind of learn to work with the you know the the government, and you you don't the really push I mean, back yeah. uh, that much, and you just kind of you, you talk at these higher levels. That way, no one really gets offended and called out. So I don't know what's happening in the Amazon, but if it's similar to um, what was happening in in Honduras,
1: mm-hmm. the the Catholic Church kind of has moved away from that. Yeah. Um, if if we have any any community members or listeners that uh, have a pulse in uh, the South America region and Central America region. Um, let us know. We'd love know. to hear we would love what's to going hear. on. So if you're not already toasted out from the wedding last week, um, who are you toasting this week?
2: I am very happily toasting with a cup of coffee instead of all <laughs> of the alcohol that we consumed <laughs> over the, the past week especially that weekend um but i'm i'm very happy to toast i'm actually okay i'm gonna go back to our our wedding a little bit which is more than a week ago but we haven't had a tabernacle episode so i don't feel too Mm -hmm. bad about it i'm gonna i want to toast everyone that did help out with our our wedding um we're gonna do an episode uh here in the near future kind of about the wedding and, and our efforts to make it kind of as catholic as as possible but for now uh, there was a lot of people that helped us make it a really special day. Uh, Clay and Aaron, who officiated our wedding. Mm-hmm. Adam, who played music and sang for us. And our family members who were there and kind of gave us so much love. It, Those things are what made it just so perfect above and beyond and, and perfect. And so I want to raise a glass and toast to them.
1: And uh, kind of on that same note, I'm going to toast my family. Okay, awesome. Uh, my, my direct family. So my mom, my brother, and my aunts and cousins who since day one... Um, has never batted an eyelash about me being gay, yeah. and have welcomed you into the family with open arms. Open arms, absolutely. and and same to your family. Just uh, like I've have always felt like another son, yeah, to the already six that they have. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just to to family members um, who really made this day possible and so memorable and so perfect. And yeah, oh, and also. Side note: Seeing my mom dance. Your mom was out there. <laughs> Maybe She's a, a bit very more shy. Of a She's very reserved shy. Person, absolutely. But seeing her smile and just like kind of like living in the moment and and seeing that joy on her face was uh, beyond beyond perfect. I agree. Okay. I... Toast to everyone who made the wedding day possible. Cheers. Uh, I also want to offer my
2: first official. Um, apology um, on oh. on Tabardin uh, to you and I suppose to our our audience. Uh, at the top of the episode, I introduced myself as as Pat Gothman, and <laughs> that is not the case anymore. I changed my last name Whoa. legally. What's my new last name? Flores. Flores. I joined the Flores family. Hey. So my name is Pat Flores now. You'll see that out out there on the uh, whole we'll update the website eventually. Um, yeah. So. gotta change that in our introduction welcome to the pack (laughs) all right y'all that is it for us this week on tabardin you can support the podcast by leaving a review on apple podcasts it goes a really long way helping other folks who might be helped by this podcast find it so welcome back to tabardin again y'all and thanks for listening
1: bye guys